It is said that Los Angeles is the city with no seasons, but for those of us who live here, we know better, don't we? January is for your consideration Oscar billboard season. May is summer blockbuster billboard season. June is for your consideration Emmy billboard season. And September is the new fall lineup billboard season. We absolutely have seasons, and I demand anyone to tell us otherwise. You see, Angelinos, we have a little bit of a strange relationship with the idea of time because in the absence of very clear transitions of fall, winter, spring, it's just kind of, there's, they're there, but they're very, they're not as strong as like somebody who grew up in Missouri. Like it's like hot in the summer and you just don't leave your house like in December and January. Like my, my grandpa called Ozark, Missouri, where I grew up, Snowzark, because that is, that is what it was. We don't have snow here, praise be to God, Yes. And so in the absence of very clear seasons, we tend to orient our lives not off natural seasons, but off kind of man-made ones, whether that's school schedules or, like I said, the billboard rhythms. or We have some other basis of how we kind of orient our time. And we orient our lives largely off a man-made sense of time. And this works itself down, this framework, even into the way that we talk about time. We perceive time as largely something that we possess and control. So you notice the metaphorical language we use around time. We talk about spending time. We talk about saving time. We talk about wasting time. Or even we talk about making time, like it's something that we can produce. Or we talk about finding time, as if minutes or an hour is wedged in between the couch cushions at home. And aha, here it is. I've got 30 minutes. I found it. See, we have this interesting relationship with time as Angelinos, one that really kind of works, this kind of man-made vision of time, until it doesn't. And oftentimes time bites back and it reminds us that we are not in control of the seasons of life, how they go back and forward. And so in the ancient book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, or as we've been calling him, the deconstructor, has been examining every area of life under the sun. He's looking for the good life down here for us. And so being the third week in it, the first week we looked at chapter one, where the deconstructor detailed his difficult realization that in your life and mine, down here under the sun, nothing is lasting, nothing is significant, and nothing is satisfying. All is uh, vanity, the Hebrew word hevel. It is all, as we've been translating it, smoke in mirrors. It is fleeting and, and, and an enigma, and you try to get your hands on it, and it disappears between your fingers. There's nothing under the sun, nothing in your life that is lasting, fleeting, or satisfying. Last week, as we moved into chapter two, the deconstructor said, okay, well, if that's how the world is, maybe human work or human wisdom or maybe our chasing and desires after pleasure, maybe in those things we can find or make or craft or protect ourselves into something lasting or significant and satisfying. And the deconstructor said, no, that too is vanity, smoke and mirrors. Your work and hustle, as much as you may go after and build your, at the end of the day, it's going, it slips through your fingers. Wisdom can't protect you forever. And even pleasures that Monday always comes. None of these things can protect us. As we continue today in chapter three, Today we get the first consideration in the book out of three that the deconstructor will give, the first consideration of why everything is vanity. Why is everything smoke and mirrors? Where is this coming from within our world and what's going on here? And it brings him to humanity's relationship with the seasons, our relationship with time. 
And so if you'll join me in standing today as we read from the scriptures in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As I say each week, we do this standing as a way of identifying with our bodies that there is a profound moment when the people of Jesus gather around the scriptures and we read them together. And so let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 through 15, and then I'll pray for us and we'll begin to see what the deconstructor is up to. Amen? Sound good? Or maybe sound good? You don't have to say amen to me. I'm sorry. Sound good? I'm not preaching yet. uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let's read this together. It says, For everything there is a season. Oh, we haven't done that before, but I like it. Let's go with it. Y'all read it with me. For every, you guys did it for the prayer, and now you're like, let's just, let's, we're going to read everything. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Let's, let's read this. It's a poem, so it'll work well. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time, Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so the people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what is driven away. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for each and every one of us here, the individuals that you have gathered up into the collective here, sitting under your word. I pray that as we look at Ecclesiastes 3 today, you would give us a little bit of a wake of call of our ideas about control and time in the seasons of our life and help us, God, to find the freedom in a really list, realistically lowered expectations, but also, God, that you would prime our hearts for the great work of your eternal work in your son, Jesus. In name we pray, amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat. In 1965, the Birds released their now iconic song, Turn, 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 parentheses, to everything there is a season. Most of you have heard this song. Uh, some of you probably were wanting to like break out into song as we were reading it. I have been listening to it all week. And I can say that the Birds, their version was actually not an original. It was a cover of Pete Seeger's version. And Pete Seeger's is far better. Um, I, this is like, I'm trying to like pick fights with people that don't even care, but 
Uh, go listen to Pete Seegers this week and, and you'll probably agree with me. What's interesting is this song blew up on the charts as it came out largely as an anti-war statement as mostly being a reproduction of Ecclesiastes chapter three. You probably noticed it. And because of that, it holds the title as being the, uh, the, in the United States charts, the number one that's ever reached there with the oldest lyrics was the bird's song, turn, 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 to everything there is a season. Now, I say that their incredible version as it was is mostly a reproduction uh, because you might have noticed in the Hebrew or even in your, in your English translation, there is no turn, 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 right? Although maybe you wanted it, like, you know, turn, turn, no, but not there. And interestingly also is as you get to the line, a time for war and a time for peace, both Pete Seeger and the bird's version adds the line, I swear it's not too late. Now, this popular, catchy song that encapsulates many of the anti-war Vietnam sentiments of the sentiments of the 60s and just the songwriting that came out of this time, unfortunately, it, un- it significantly blurs the whole point of the poem. By kind of talking about this turn, 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 and then that adding line at the very end, I swear it's not too late, what it infers is that these seasons of war and peace, of life and death, of mourning and laughter, are largely something within humanity's control that we can turn over. And so Pete Singer and the birds, they end their song with this invitation. Hey, I swear it's not too late to turn time over into peace. And as great as a sentiment that is, and we've got other Bible verses that can help point us to that, that's not what this poem is about. You see, in the larger flow of Ecclesiastes, this poem is descriptive of the tyranny of time, of the uncontrollable pendulum of the seasons that human life goes back and forth, the ebb and flow that it moves back and forth from. You see in verse one at the very beginning, for everything there is a season, it doesn't say for everything there is a right season and the task for you is discern what that right season is and to turn, turn, turn. It's not a prescriptive call. The song is descriptive, merely that there is a time of these things being done by us and being done to us. And we seemingly have no say in the matter. As you have no control over the phases of the moon, you don't go out at night and go, you know what, I would really, really like a good full moon tonight. And you know, you gotta you know, you know, scroll over it to make it turn into the moon that you want. We have no control over the seasons of time. And similarly, we have no control over the, like, the seasons themselves as much as some of us wanted it after a really cold week in Los Angeles. You don't have control over those seasons. And similarly, the deconstructor is saying, these big flows of life under the sun, you have no control over. Both big and small. And the seemingly little things like the farmer who goes out to his field in one season to sow and returns in the next to harvest. Or, you know, in a more modern version, you know, someone who logs on to eBay to buy, returns to the same website a couple months later to sell. These, these rhythms of just times change and, and things flip over the vet trip that at one moment was you taking your dog to be healed and taken care of, that same vet, that same animal you bring to finally be put down. You see the, f- the flow of time that, that we are just moving through and we don't really have much control over these things. Close friends part in bitter anger and frustration with each other. The same hospital that regularly puts out new little human beings that come home with moms and dads is also the final place for many bodies as they go and where their final breaths are taken. The seasons turn and we don't have much say over it. We find our dream job and the seasons change and we find ourselves then without it. 
we gain family members and the seasons turn and we lose them. None of us got to select the years that we live. I, I, I don't know who would have, looking over the past couple of years that we've been living and go, you know what? That range of time really looks really good right there. None of us got any voice in that or any vote. We just, we just woke up and it's like, all right, cool. I guess this is, this is the years that I'm living. This is the time that I have. And I get no say in the matter. None of us had a vote on COVID-19. Or at least if there was, we all slept on it and, and the minority got away with that one. Similarly, I mean, just without their consent, the people of the Ukraine, this week, they've been plunged into a time of war and they didn't sign up for that. They didn't go, that sounds great to us. Times change. And you find yourself now from a time of peace into a time of war. And this, the tyranny of time, is the first of three culprits the deconstructor will name over his book as why everything is smoke and mirrors, why nothing in this life is lasting or significant and satisfying. It is that tyrant time. You are a passenger along for the ride of where time takes you. And no matter how hard you hustle in your work, no matter how hard you try to prepare your life through wisdom and do the right thing to protect yourself, no matter how much uh, escape that you protect yourself within, within pleasure, the seasons will, as the bird said, turn, 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 without your vote, without your consent, without your control. They will change, and all of your attempts to build the life that you desired will fall into a disheveled mess. In the words of uh, one of my favorite bands in high school, The Bravery, time won't let you go. We are, we are held by time, and we are, we are along for the ride at best. Life is a cosmic swinging pendulum towards these opposite ends, which you cannot dodge or stop. So the question is, what then do we do under the tyranny of time? Verse 9 through 11 talks about humanity's toil, our busy business in the face of the tyranny of time, or as we'll find it to be quite a confusing business. The deconstructor says, in the midst of the tyranny of time, us realizing how much we don't have control, what we run to do is we try to, at the end of verse 11, it says, figure out what God has done from beginning to end. In the midst of time going back and forth and all over the place, that we try to figure out how do all of these, these crazy puzzle pieces fit together into some coherent plot, into something that makes sense of it, where it's not just chaos and mess. He talks about how another way of saying trying to find what God has done from beginning to end is we're trying to discern how God has made everything beautiful in its time. This inst- I see this all the time on Instagram of like this verse out of context sounds so pretty. God has made everything beautiful in its time. And you're like, aw. Like, so whatever you're going through, it's gonna be beautiful in its time. But the whole point is what the deconstructor says. Yeah, but you can't figure that out. No one can figure out when it's beautiful in its time. Or, or honestly, better argued, beautiful, and in Hebrew, most scholars agree on this point, is, is the, the word for beautiful is, is most likely better translated in light of the poem before it as fitting. That, that, that there is some fitting together of all of these seasons and all the mess of how they click, and yet we can't figure it out. Another way that the deconstructor says is, is humans, we have, we have eternity in our hearts. We long for this big meta story that fits all the time together, and we're looking for it. But as he says, we cannot find it. At the heart of all of this, this desire to fit everything into some beautiful story, to discern what all has happened and is going on from beginning to end, is, is our attempt, if we can't control time, to at least just tame it into a story that makes sense. 
that yes, it might be these evils and these war and, and mourning and pain and death, but at least we can put it all together. This happens on the individual level as people say things like everything happens for a reason. Without, and then you ask, well, what, what is the reason? And then that whole view falls apart, unfortunately. But the whole point of that kind of everything happens for a reason belief is, is in the midst of all the chaos of this world, I don't know what to do with some of these outliers of, of war and pain and mourning and loss. And so I'm just going to, everything happens for a reason. It must work out in some way. We do this on the individual level. But just as, uh, maybe not insidious, but just as under the water of what's happening in the midst of this is where this happens on a cultural level through what philosophers refer to as meta narratives. And meta narratives are these understand that these, I mean, it's humanity's greatest export. We make these things like crazy. These stories in which we can fit all of time into some coherent plot and story. And then these became a framework for not just how we unify ourselves with others, but where we find meaning and purpose and in unifying ourselves with others also who our enemy is. And so these meta-narratives show up. A meta-narrative of progressivism is a particular way of looking at the seasons and times and fitting them together in a plot that then makes sense. The same is true with conservatism, with racism and Marxism, with capitalism and fundamentalism, with consumerism and nationalism. Critical race theory, as it's moved over the past few years from a method of understanding to a meta-narrative, these are all stories that humans that we create in trying to figure out how do the times fit together. This happens in conspiracy theories. What we're watching play out right now is this happens within Russianism and, and nationalism. Each of these are more than simply political or religious worldviews. They are attempts to tame time by fitting it into some structure. And what happens is when we have a meta-narrative that conflicts with yours, when we have a running story of how the times fit together that conflicts with yours, then there's a, that's where the conflict happens. One of our stories must be true, and history goes to the victor. And so... At, 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 at the edge of what's happening in the midst of most conflicts is not a, not a fight over opinion, but a fight over whose story is true. See, these meta-narratives work themselves not just out into our lives, they fuel our work and often in so many destructive ways. And what the deconstructor says, he sounds like a postmodern philosopher here, he brushes these all these aside and he says, you can't find them. You can't, we, verse 11, we can't figure out whatever those are. The world is far too complex for these simplistic narratives of how the world fits together. Life under time's tyranny is smoke and mirrors and any attempt to duplo block this together where the times make sense will fall apart each and every time. And so the question is then, if we cannot control time, if we cannot tame it, what do we do under the tyranny of time? And this is where we jump outside of Ecclesiastes for a moment and we talk about what it means to live in our day and age. For many of us, we try to escape the control of time. Not so much, yes, in pleasures like we talked about last week, but for many of us, our escape from the tyranny of time leads us into the, uh, the, the timeless nether that is the internet. Is we escape into this, this little time travel moment where in the midst of I'm in a season right now where my marriage and my life with my kids or my singleness or whatever it is is just I, I, I can't, I'm tired of living this and I have this little awesome thing in my pocket that can time travel me into somebody else's life or existence or story and I can get out of this for a little bit and exist here. 
We have these little time travel devices in our back pockets, but like Black, uh, Blake Crouch's uh, science fiction novel, Recursion, it's fantastic. This is like nerd moment for a second. Blake Recursion's uh, story is all about time travel, and what happens over the course of time travel is people trying to travel to some different future or some better past before losing a loved one or something like this. The, the attempt by humanity implodes on itself, and by the end of the book, all times are happening at the same time. It's this apocalyptic wasteland nightmare of all times happening simultaneously. And I would argue that's exactly what has happened with our little phones in our pocket. Is it hasn't allowed us to leave uh, war and go over to peace, to leave mourning and come over to laughter. But as we scroll between different posts, we're experiencing each of them milliseconds between one another. Bo Burnham in his stand-up special last year called Insight, that's equal parts comedy, cultural commentary, and musical, right towards the middle of the show, he has a song called Welcome to the Internet. And after building this whole unsettling movement between these simultaneous times, uh, one example being, here's a tip for straining pasta, here's a nine-year-old who died. Like, this is, this is what your newsfeed is like. He then moves to the chorus, repeating over and over and again, could I interest you in everything all of the time? A little bit of everything all of the time. He repeats again, could I interest you in everything all of the time? A little bit of everything all of the time. Our, our work to try to escape Ecclesiastes 3 and the seasons going back and forth has not led to us escaping time, but a little bit of everything all of the time. So our lives and the anxiety that you feel is, is we're not able to fully live into our peace and into those moments that get good because we're constantly being barraged by the bad. And even when we're going through the worst moments, we're, we're experiencing a little bit of everything all of the time. And so if we cannot control time, if we cannot tame it, if we can't escape it, how do we live under this tyranny? Verses 12 through 13, the deconstructor says, I have found what? There's nothing better this is his way of kind of throwing up his arms and going, this is the good life as best as we can find it under the sun. And it is, he says, to be joyful, to do good, and to take pleasure in the little things like food and your work and your drink. This is a posture uh, of, of, in Latin, it's the phrase asipeorum or accepting the hour. Accepting the hour, this posture of living our lives that I don't have control over the pendulum of time, I am along for the ride. And so the best thing for me is to identify and know I'm only human. I have no control over this. And so the best thing for me to do is take pleasure in the ways that I can, whatever the season I'm in, to commit to doing the good that I can no matter where I'm at because I just don't have control over it. I know for me, this is most of the frustration in my life is me trying to, to change the clock, me trying to speed around the calendar, me trying to keep, when I begin to feel a good season slipping away as, as conflict or struggle or difficulties come and me trying to like protect myself from it or when I find myself in those bad seasons doing everything I can to try to get out of it or escape it. Most of my frustration is not the, the bad seasons that I'm in, but my, my desire to try to control and get out of them. The deconstructor says the better life is not to try to control or tame or to escape the seasons, but to be fully present in the present. He says it's God's gift. God's gift to you is, is this moment, right now, not some future not some past. God's gift is the hour 
right now, whatever it is. And it is out of that that we say, I may not have control over time, but I do have responsibility in it. And so if I'm living in the best of times, then what do I do? I enjoy it. I do the good that I can where I can, but I don't take it for granted. As Andrew Bernard said in the final season of The Office, he said, I wish there was a way to know when you're in the good old days before you actually left them. The deconstructor calls for us to take a posture where we don't say those kinds of things because we're living in the present and experiencing it fully as opposed to waiting for something else and realizing that what we've been waiting for all along was what we were living in. And when we find that the pendulum swings and we move back to the worst of times, he says, be joyful. You're not dead yet. So in the worst of times, continue to do the good you can. Look for ways to do the right thing and be in the do the good. And even while in the midst of the worst times, look for pleasure in the simple and little things. Maybe something as simple as the food that you eat and what you drink, the clothes you wear, like the very simple things of just getting up and having another day. But focus on those. And because time is a pendulum outside of our control, don't assume that the good or bad will last forever. The seasons will turn, turn, turn again, often before you know it. And so live with orum, accepting the hour, enjoying it, doing the good you can, and taking pleasure in it, regardless of what it is. You see, under the unpredictable tyranny of time, this is, for the deconstructor of the good life, a freedom of realistically lowered expectations. I'm not in control of time. And the sooner that I let go of my desire to control or tame or escape, I will actually find the nothing better life that he holds out for us. Now, one practical way of living into this, as surprising as it may seem to some of you, is the spiritual practice, the spiritual rhythm of Sabbath. Surprising. But Sabbath, for those of you that are new to the the conversation, Sabbath is a, a regular rhythm within the people of God of taking one day a week and we do not work, we do not buy, we do not sell. We rest and we we sit and we enjoy. We put our attention back to the greatest priorities. We kind of do what he calls for us to do. We enjoy our lives, we do good, and we take pleasure in the simple good things of creation. And and so most of us, we love talking about Sabbath rest. Like, oh cool, like God tells me to take a day off. That's great. Those of us that have entered into doing Sabbath for a little while have found what most spiritual writers have identified that Sabbath is. It is not just a day off. It is a way of practicing death. That there is a time that comes that no matter, whenever the day of the week is for you, that you have that time. So it's Sundays or for my family, Friday night to Saturday evening. That no matter what happens, Friday night, the to-do list is left as it was. The house being unclean is left as it was. The messes, the things that need to be dealt with for 24 hours I am, as it were, dead to all of my control in the world. And I am simply a recipient. Sabbath is more than simply a day off. It is a way of reminding ourselves, I'm not in control of time. I am a passenger along for the ride. And, and everybody that wants the day off, once you, got, once you start getting into the rhythm of Sabbath, you'll find that this is the work that it does is it reminds you that time is not your own. Now, there's one remaining question as we begin to kind of move to the final bit here is this is all really helpful, practical, Sabbath, woo, even though that sounds kind of like, you know, practicing death, who wants to do that? But there's this, there's this recurring question then that sits with us because as, if we go back to our confusing business, the deconstructor doesn't simply say that this is our toil. He says that God has 
God, this is, this is the business that we've been given by God. He doesn't simply say that we have eternity in our hearts. It was placed there by God. He doesn't simply say that we're trying to figure out what's been done from beginning to end. He says what God has done from beginning to end. The deconstructor has some assumption that even in the midst of the tyranny of time, there's a God who's at work in doing something here. And so that's the remaining question for us is, well, what has God done from beginning to end? What is he up to in the midst of the tyranny of time? To this, the deconstructor returns in verses 14 through 15, where he contemplates that in the midst of this world where nothing is lasting, significant, or satisfying because time, like a bulldozer, knocks all of them over, God, in fact, is doing something enduring and unchanging amid time's tyranny. But the deconstructor's view is hazy. You know, he's kind of, he's looking through the smoke and mirrors, we could say. And he goes, I can't perceive what God is doing here, but it's something that knowing who God is, is the eternal creator God, I know that it's something that's, that's unending. I know that it's enduring. I know that it's lasting. I know that time won't be able to affect it, but I can't quite see what it is. But what I do know about God is I know that whatever that is on the other side of it, it will lead to people fearing him, better translated as living in worship and awe of God. This astounding, oh my goodness, this is who God is. In the last line of verse 15 is in that whatever that movement is that God does, his lasting eternal work, it will be God seeking, after what are, God seeking after what has been driven away or what has been persecuted. In context, it's that God will be chasing after and pursuing those who have been driven away and persecuted by the big bad tyrant time. He goes, whatever God, I can't, you know, he's, he's here, he's writing, as an Israelite within the story of Israel, and he's, he's writing and reflecting on, on their commitment to the God who's revealed himself through Abraham and Isaac and Moses, and he's continued to be faithful, and they're on the other side of exile, and so he's looking and reflecting on life under the sun, and he goes, man, I know that the God who's been faithful to us is gonna do something. He's, he's, he is doing something, but I can't quite put my finger on it, but the two things I know is that it's not for nothing. It's going to be shocking, and it's gonna change the world so that people might live in fear of him, and it's going to be God chasing after a world that's been persecuted by time. Having the rest of the story for us, the hazy vision of the deconstructor becomes quite clear as we find God's eternal answer to the tyranny of time was to enter it. God's answer to time was not uh, pulling us out of time into some little eternal nether world of like, get out of time, because that wouldn't be that God was victorious and enduring over time. It's just that he, you know, had to get out, you know, he had an a, a, a escape pod. But for God to do something enduring and unchanging, it mean, must mean that he's going to do something about time. And his answer was to enter it. In the person of Jesus, God's enduring work that the deconstructor saw as a hazy thing takes on flesh, touchable, seeable, hearable flesh as God seeks his world persecuted by time to seek a world that's been driven away under this tyranny. And so what more could have happened when Jesus shows up on the scene and begins his earthly ministry is what is the essence of all of his preaching? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ enters onto the scene in his ministry and he understands his life, his ministry, his personhood as the very center of time. 
all that time had been leading up to and asking for and begging for a world being shattered by the back and forth pendulum, the thing that it would all building up to, it's the one that would be victorious over, the fulfillment of it would be Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul reflects on this in Romans chapter eight, verses 20 and 21, reflecting on a world that has been subjected to futility or vanity. Most scholars go, this is Paul, you know, he's, he's been spending some time in Ecclesiastes. Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes, for the creation was subjected to futility, the same language for vanity, connecting to Ecclesiastes. And this was done by God, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, the pendulum of time. Corruption, entropy, whatever language you wanna use, would be set free from that. And all of creation would obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, that is, his people, his church. And so the deconstructor's hazy vision, Jesus emerges on the scene and goes, it's here and it's called the kingdom of God. God seeking after a world that's been broken down and beaten by time is now coming in the kingdom of God and it has been done so that you might repent and believe. You might live in awe and fear and reverence to the creator God at work in your midst. And the fascinating work of all of this is the way that Jesus sets free us and his creation under our tyrant time is by entering into it and allowing the pendulum to crush him. You read over the poem of Ecclesiastes chapter three and you'll see Jesus' life almost detailed. Not because he was doing something special, but because he was entering into the fullness of the human story. He was born and his death on the cross his ministry of healing and he was killed him moving around through his life and building up others only ultimately for him to be broken down him bringing laughter to others only for his disciples to weep him bringing dancing on uh, paraplegics being healed is now leaning to mourning at his loss his friendship with his disciples that they would turn on him and betray him and flee from him Jesus seeking after what had been lost, he himself was lost to the cross. Jesus keeping and bringing in those far away, himself was cast away. Him sewing together broken lives, being ripped at the very fabric of himself. His ministry of speaking leading to him being like a lamb led to the slaughter in silence. Him bringing his ministry of love and reconciliation, being hated by the world. And him bringing peace, all of the world's power of war was poured out on him on his cross. The tyranny of time that we all suffer under, God himself entered and suffered with us. And whereas most of us can say the reason we move from a relationship and friendship to being broken is a lot of problems on our side and theirs, Jesus is is fully perfect. If there was ever anybody that time should have bent to, it was him. And yet he entered into the fullness of it and it crushed him on his cross. And all of this was, as the deconstructor saw, so that God might seek what had been driven away as Jesus himself was driven away. And the incredible news of what we're building up towards in Easter is on the other side of the resurrection is this incredible work that Jesus has done over our tyrant time. He has turned, 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 the thing that we cannot do, he did over time. 
He enters into it and, and the times bring him into death. And what does he do three days later? He clicks it over into new birth and resurrection. He was killed and it led to the healing of the nations. He was broken down so we could be built up in the weeping and loss of him. Now we laugh in the face of death. Where there was mourning, we dance. Where we were lost, we've now been found. Where we were cast away, we've now been embraced. Where we were hated, now we were loved. Where we live lives of war, we now have this internal sense of the peace of God at work within us. And so this work is something kicked off through Easter Sunday and at work within our lives today. And the thing that we live in anticipation for is that the future is coming when this will finally be dealt with. I love the final book of the Bible, Revelation, looking forward to new creation, talking about when Jesus returns to finally put our tyrant time down. It describes new creation as a city without seasons. Not with billboards, not man-made seasons, but all of the things in here that you go, I want my life to be like that. And the reason I hate my life is all the ones on this side of the column. New creation is a life where, where there's no longer death, there's no longer plucking up, there's no longer killing or breaking down or weeping or mourning or casting away or refraining from embracing or losing or casting away or tearing or a silence that comes in the midst of it, but speaking out in love, no longer hate, no longer war. This is the city without seasons that we were made for and Los Angeles is a paltry attempt at something close. We are waiting for an eternal new creation. We are waiting for an only and forever best of times and never again the worst of times. And so the deconstructor, under the tyranny of time, he said, you're only human. You can't control time. You can't fit it into some story. You can't make sense of it. But Jesus Christ of Nazareth emerges and being more than just human, being the eternal God in flesh, is the one who has and can and does something about these things. That he has controlled time into the direction of your salvation and the redemption of this world. That he has fit it into the story that is his very self. And so there is no escaping from this world, but entering into it as we enter into the story of Jesus ourselves. And so the invitation for us is, yes, to live in light of the deconstructor's wisdom, to enjoy our lives and do good and to take pleasure in the little things, but also to live in awe and worship of the resurrection and God's eternal work over time. Like the Apostle Paul, again in Romans 8, to say in the midst of our lives, what can separate me from the love of God in Christ? Shall death or being plucked up or being killed or being broken down or weeping or mourning or casting away, broken relationships, lost jobs, your loss over this past year, the loss of your parent, the loss of a loved one, the loss of, of a work, of a dream, of something that broke down, that the emergence of Jesus and his resurrection over the seasons of time is for us to stand up to the bully and tyrant of time with the empty tomb behind us and we say nothing is going to separate us. For all of your swinging, you cannot stop my God's plans for me and plans for this world. And so in the best of times, we are joyful, we do good in the way of Jesus, and we take pleasure in the little things as a foretaste of new creation. And in the worst of times, not only are we just joyful that we're not dead yet, we say that even if we were, what can separate us from the love of God? And so in the worst of times, we do the good that we can. Once again, as we stand up to that bully of time, while we pray, as we did earlier today, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
put this bully of time that we are along for the ride of finally down and usher in the longing of our hearts put there by you, an eternal new creation. And so even Sabbath gets transformed within this. It's not just practicing death. It is a foretaste of new creation, a day without mourning, but a day with laughter and delight and joy. As we await that city, the true city with no seasons. And so in all of this, we stand as the resurrection people of Jesus and we claim the meta-narrative for our world in rejecting all others is the story of Jesus as the fulfillment and victor over time. And we week in and week out work that story down into our bones and out into our lives. And one of the ways, one of the places that we bring that down into the depths of who we are is each week as we come to the table. As we come to the table and we receive the broken bread, as we drink from the cup, Jesus' broken body and his shed blood, we, we remind ourselves once again in the face of whatever season you're going through, whether the best of times or the worst of times, this, this is the story where it all fits. This is where the control of time has been shown and so I don't need to worry about it. I am free to live my life, enjoy what I can, do the good I can, because King Jesus is on the move. And so let's, uh, let's pray, and, and let's come to the table.